0: Welcome back to The Theology of the Buddy Podcast, episode 18. In this episode, the boys veer off course again and address listener comments. Aaron shows off his rigorism and discusses the sin of levity. Chris shares his mild trag crisis regarding Save the Liturgy, Save the World. And Matt discusses the insanity of the new guidelines issued by the American Psychological Association. Come on in. We've saved a seat for you.
1: So, guys, how's it going? Good. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Episode Basically, 18 Episode eighteen. Welcome that. to the filler podcast No, I don't know what we want to call this just, This is called the
2: podcast. Smorgasbord extravaganza
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Guys,
3: what's up? Well, let's troll Matt <laughs> first And what? do the rosary recap Mike's dress ro- 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 Rosary recap He was asking what we thought About the Carmelite 18 mystery chaplet Is it a rosary? Okay, he answered his own question there No, it's a chaplet so. No, no,
1: no, but he wrote ch-
3: rosary in the comment. Did he not? No, he said chaplet. Yeah, he did right call here. it a chaplet. I'm, 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 I oh, copied did he? and yeah. and then he says it came from Moorish Foundation. Blah blah blah. Doesn't come from Our Lady. That's why it's a chaplet. That's what. Uh, see, um, I don't use the term chaplet
2: in a derogatory manner either. No. Like the Divine Mercy chaplet, the chaplet of Saint Michael. Like these are all beautiful things. The only, I guess, the only ones that are really called rosaries that I know of is. Mm. The Rosary, capital R, and then also the Servite Rosary, but realistically, that—I mean—that's just a common way of shortening that down, right? Like you could call it the Chaplet of the Seven Sorrows. Like yeah, Chaplet is not a derogatory. So when I say the Luminous Chaplet, I don't mean any like disrespect to it that way. I just, you know, forcing it into the title Rosary. Right. I, I just don't see the point of that.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the- I just, I just wanted to say that was. A very good point, Mike. Thanks for your feedback on our post.
3: He also has inside. Did you know a modern Carmelite saint created a set of mysteries of light for St. JP too? They're similar, but not exactly the same. They have the Beatitudes instead of the Wedding of Canna. St. George Preka? I've never heard of them. I've never heard of them. Never heard of them. And also the Luminous Mysteries, they have the... They have, they have the Beatitudes. It's called the proclamation of the Kingdom of God. Is it's, that what it is? Okay. Yeah, like My, it's pretty much it. So. Is that part of it? Yeah. I don't know. Do you
1: I didn't I, I thought that the proclamation of the kingdom had to do with when Jesus stood up in the temple and said hmm, or not no, temple no, in the synagogue and said, you know, uh this no, thing it, is you know, fulfilled in your hearing or whatever. I thought that was the formal proclamation.
3: I thought it was the Sermon on the Mount. Which it could really, be yeah. all of these, all of these things. Maybe we should take a meditation. You, you, you know, know
1: you know, what would be really great? If John Paul II had actually told us. Yeah. That would be
3: really helpful. Okay, so I see we're all in agreement here with the, the, the luminous chaplet. Then I'm just going to strike that off the show <laughs> notes. <laughs> but, oh, the cool thing, um, Justin, our truth bomb purveyor, he came and he asked us if the indulgence stills apply, still applies to the luminous mysteries. If you pray the – if you pray – a third of the rosary but you do the luminous mysteries do you still gain the indulgence
2: yeah it's an interesting question because yeah i think the handbook of indulgences still does say those who play it pray a third part of the rosary
3: yep i looked it up the recitation of a third part only of the rosary suffices for the indulgence so oh wow how can you have a th-
0: yeah
2: you have to do
3: s-
1: six mysteries
3: <laughs> yeah i don't know it's weird
1: but do those do those indulgences still apply? Because after Paul the
3: Six, these are the sixty-eight. The ones yeah, these that are the I new ones. Oh. And actually, I I
2: I'm part of the Rosary Confraternity. I looked up theirs as well. The requirements actually only list the joyful, sorrowful, and glorious. And they actually there's an FAQ saying will the luminous be included? They just haven't ruled on it yet. But for the Rosary Confraternity, you only have to play pray the original three as well. That's which. That. Well, wow. you know, I guess if there's like a popular uprising and it's changed in there, that would certainly send some or lend some weight to that argument. Yeah. But Rosary Confraternity is a worldwide handbook of indulgences for the church. Mm-hmm. kind of.
3: Yeah, but just for completeness, though, in the wording right at the beginning of the indulgence, and in which the recitation of each decade is accompanied by pious meditation on a particular mystery of our redemption. So it doesn't specifically spell out the mysteries. But it does later on say a th- you only have to pray a third, so it implies there's only three sets of mysteries. Yeah. So, yeah, so just right to right.
1: clarify, it is saying that you have to engage in some level of,
3: of mental, mental prayer. prayer yes, thank it. you. Yeah. Hat yeah. Carmelite. All right. Catch tip, our last episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. St. <laughs> um, Anthony Claret. Oh, yeah. Anthony Mary Claret. Anthony Mary. We were trying to decide if he's a rigorous or not. Uh, basically the debate was between me and Matt. There's two things. There's a translation issue, but there's also issue, but there's also, did our Lord laugh in his lifetime? So,
2: and, oh no, this isn't a blog that I guess you told me about traditional Catholic priest. Yeah. He posted an excerpt from one of St. Anthony Mary Claret's books, the first chapter, and it was written for missionaries and priests. And there's a line in there. I was I couldn't sleep that night, so I woke up at like four a.m. and was grumpy and was reading this, which probably didn't help. But there's a line in there where he says, essentially, he says, "I was." He's explaining this to missionaries. I was never partial toward laughter. There's a sentence in between. He says, "For our Lord was never seen to laugh." So he gives that as the example. Like in the scriptures, it's never recorded that he laughed. I mean, my argument was. Like, is he implying that laughter is somehow bad? Mm -hmm. One, is that an example that was given for everyone if our Lord didn't laugh? Is he implying that that's the model that we all have to take? And then three, maybe he did laugh because my ultimate argument to Aaron was he laughed in the Passion of the Christ
1: with Our Lady. Mm -hmm.
2: Aaron didn't buy that. I didn't buy that. I would also
1: ask this question. Did, Did he have to... Did relieve, he smile? Did he have to relieve himself at any point in time? Maybe
3: not. I don't know. Did they have to before the fall? Did Adam and Eve before the fall? I don't know. So I would assume if they didn't, our Lord didn't. This is But anyway, <laughs> this is this is me it's and my for weeks. He, he he brought that up too. But interesting question. Did our Lord laugh? Yes.
1: I, I fully believe he did. I know.
2: thought but he would have laugh because so there are two types of laughter. When we get into this too. St. Thomas Aquinas talks about, you know, mirth and how that can be a vice. But actually, too little what, mirth. What
3: is mirth? Can you define that? I think better would be the vice of levity. Yeah. It's me when I'm at a coffee Sunday and I've drank too much. That's the vice of levity.
2: Oh. Uh, Whereas, like, I can see laughter also a mani- manifestation of joy, too. Yeah. You know, like, I, I thought maybe our Lord, when the little children were running up to him, he probably gave, like, a yeah. kind of a short laugh of joy. Yeah.
1: Can Can you imagine our Lord being just so stoic and kind of, like... Let the children come to me.
3: No, see, you guys are such grumpy pants. Saint Anthony <laughs> Claret says that I always manifested joy mm-hmm. without laughter. He said he 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 differentiates between the two. Yeah. So just because you can't doesn't mean a saint can't. No, I just didn't like his example saying
2: I didn't do this, and and to me, if he had ended it there, he's saying. I didn't laugh. I didn't, because it's a form of mortification and right mortification. You can't give up sinful things as a mortification. Like you can't give up fornication and call that a mortification. You can't give up drugs and say, Oh, I'm mortifying myself. Those are getting rid of sins. Yeah. But he went on to say, our Lord didn't do it. That's why I never did it. Yeah. So to me, he was implying that laughter, there's some defect in it, but then it's mentioned all through the Bible, right? Like in Ecclesiasticus a time to weep and a time to
3: laugh. Yep, And all through the Psalms, there's this, laughter. This just comes back to like theology of the body stuff though. Like yeah. I'm so obsessed with sex. I don't want to see it in the church. I laugh too much. Yeah. I, d- I don't want to see it.
1: I don't want to see it in the church. No, either. I don't want to see it in the no, church No, no we're a lot.
3: talking seriously right now. But like, so like when it comes to laughter, I laugh too much. Matt maybe doesn't laugh enough. Hence, one of us is having, well, we're both having emotional responses to this. We mm-hmm. can't kind of power through it, but... I just don't see an issue with our Lord not laughing in his lifetime. Only
2: and, if the implication is that there's some defect in laughter
3: in general.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I, I Yeah, I find it incredibly... Because
2: oh, all, all those other books of the Bible are inspired by the same word of God. There's right? a
3: lot of things that our Lord doesn't do that aren't defects, though. Like That's not the only thing. I know, like, but... He, he, he never owned money. You're allowed to have money. He did hold the coin. Yeah. But he gave it away immediately, right? So, and in fact, he didn't. St. Peter held it.
2: I mean, he was given gold as an infant, right? Like, presumably that was ownership of that. Plus, he's God. Well, yeah, but
3: yeah, that's true. He owns everything. But in his humanity, he didn't own anything. So, I just, like, I don't, I don't, anyway.
1: He owned, I, he owned a tunic. That's false.
3: Yep. Um,
1: he also owned the entire world.
3: Sure, but on the cross, he had nothing. Like everything was stripped from him, right? And mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. and he wasn't laughing then. So to me, I just so I see no issue with our Lord not laughing until the resurrection. Kind of same with wine. Like I went, well, he drank wine,
2: and then when Aaron said that, I was like, oh, that actually to me that shows laughter as a higher good yeah. if it's something that's saved for heaven.
0: Mm.
3: So I just don't see. Yeah, I. I can also just Envision joy Without laughter I don't see Why yeah. you need Why you need Laughter for joy So hmm. Look at me I'm joyful I ain't laughing <laughs> You're not <laughs> laughing you <are>. right now. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway This so you, was our rigorous Do you think our lord laughed I totally do Yeah. I
1: think I think it, When, it just when What
3: situation Would you have laughed uh, Or prob- Probably when
1: He was like Hey uh, Let's create Chris And he's like <laughs> Yeah <laughs> Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's let's like a- let's
1: let's make Aaron devastatingly good looking. In, but
3: in his humanity, <laughs> when would he have laughed? Matt, Chris,
2: when the little children were running up to yeah. him, I-
3: when when he's when he's like
1: talking about you know the joys of heaven with his mother, yeah. maybe, or like in know. the Passion
2: of the Christ, where a lady's trying at the height of a table and then she kind of
3: slips down and he laughs with her. That never yeah. happened. <laughs> ever happened i don't know i don't i don't see these like if he didn't laugh in these situations i don't see this being a make or break that's the thing so i
2: guess i just see it as like he was fully man Mm -hmm. unless laughter is kind of only a result of the fall then he probably did
1: it and i don't think it's only a result of the fall no Hmm. i mean i i don't know i i find that true joy though it doesn't always manifest itself in laughter I think it, it usually doesn't like. Well, I, I, I would say it depends. I would say it depends. Like, I mean, you know, a husband and a wife have a child and the child does something funny and you don't laugh at that. You know, you can't take delight in your child that way. That to me sounds crazy and wacko. But here's the thing. Like, I think we can, like, Matt was talking a couple episodes ago about, you know, the virtue and the mean. And I think, you know, I was listening to a, a recent thing by a guy by the name of Steve the Missionary, and he's a big YouTuber right now. People are calling him a, a Catholic influencer. I think that's a scary idea. Um, but he was saying how it's really important to watch Jesus Christ Superstar because it uh, introduces you to the humanity of Christ. And I, I'll be honest with you. I went, I was the first person to comment on his post and I said, Saint Teresa of Avila is not impressed. (laughs) Like, I was like, no way, no way. Um, but I mean, in Jesus Christ superstar, there is an overemphasis, obviously, on his humanity without his divinity. Um, you know, I think there, I think our Lord can be completely able to laugh, but he wouldn't laugh at things that are evil or, you know, taking delight in the wrong. He wouldn't do things like that, but he would be able to delight in that which is good and holy and yeah. beautiful.
2: And I guess humor nowadays is based on sarcasm and kind of base ideas too,
1: which is kind of where we're most exposed to laughter, at least in the modern culture. But it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't. So, in answer to your question, I think Jesus totally laughed. Yeah. Yeah. I. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. <clears throat> so for you, maybe it's a personality thing and it's hard for you to relate to that. You shouldn't try to necessarily like force yourself to assent to this idea. You know, like I don't, I don't think you need to be making, you know, this image of Christ that, you know, like say Matt and I relate with that you don't have to necessarily have that particular, don't know if you want to call it like a devotion, but do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you yeah. don't have to look at Christ that way <laughs> in that you know, aspect. Yeah. yeah. Although remember
2: our lady laughed at Lord's at Lord's Lourdes. to St. Bernard. I know that's a thorn in my so side. So if there's laughter in heaven, then there
1: must be laughter. Yeah, but, he's, but he's a Catholic. He doesn't have to assent to private revelation.
2: He <laughs> could have brought that. Oh, thank you, Chris. <laughs> you love Saint Zayd. <laughs> <and> <that.
3: laughs> I do, but yeah, I just have a hard time with our Lord laughing. I just don't see there a place in His life for it. A lot mm-hmm. of saints don't laugh. Um, I don't know many saints who say laughing is a good thing.
1: But there is, but there are saints that did, like Therese, I'm pretty sure did. I mean, Saint yeah.
2: Philip Neri, as he was doing magic tricks for the boys, to yeah. say out Saint John Bosco probably Saint- <laughs> would have, yeah.
3: Anyway, so, anyway. There's a <laughs> rigorism for the week. That's rigorism. Yeah. We'll come up with a new one. <laughs> 101. But yeah. two, we let the Annunciation slip by without saying anything. I just yeah. want to, Not
1: true. Oh, did we? Not true. You did mention it in the Mental Prayer Podcast. Good for you. You slipped it right in. And I, as I was listening to it, I was like, hey, good job.
3: Oh, cool. Yeah. Excellent. you
1: You mentioned the fact that our lady at the Annunciation was told, you know, about oh, yeah. Elizabeth and yeah. how it led to yeah so i mean you may not have realized it but your garden angels are like hey oh, cool
3: you should, <laughs> you
1: should mention
2: this
3: well uh should i mention it again i kind of want to yeah. just getting into the hail mary um the the privilege i just suggest a different way to look at hail marys for everyone the privilege um if you go through just what catholicism gives you um, our lady is the mother of God. And if you meditated on that long enough, you'd realize she's exalted above every other creature combined because becoming the mother of God, she becomes completely singular in that no one can, she can't be replaced. She can't be outdone. It's quite a big thing to be the mother of God. Um, so when you say the Hail Mary, you are bringing to her mind, first of all, she's listening. So like the, the queen of the universe, the mistress of the world is listening to you which is also like in terms of monarchy like you would never be able to just go talk to a king right like i think someone died in the old testament trying that or ruth or one of the girls like esther i think she was she went to talk to him and like she might have died because like you don't just you don't just go talk to a king yeah he had to
2: put his scepter out to forgive her for interrupting him yeah yeah so but our lady's not like an earthly empress
3: no not she's far greater not in temper she's she's greater than all combined but you can literally every hail mary she responds to and she's reminded of her dignity because you're using the same words gabriel did when he announced her maternity so i i would just suggest every time you pray your rosary you think like it's actually a privilege for you to be able to do this and you know people who complain about the rosary or say their Hail Marys quickly you don't really they I just don't think they realize quite what they're doing and what they're doing is like kind of sloppily hailing the queen of the universe and she's listening so that was the only thing I wanted to mention about the Annunciation really and angels hierarchy yeah.
2: it, it just interesting on that same topic I think St. Louis de Montfort makes it clear that um not only does she listen but every time you say Hail Mary she responds back you can't always hear it but she's she's not just listening she's actually responding to you in that moment
3: too yep so i don't know that's the enunciation for it. it's quite a big day the biggest day we all had a fun time what did you guys end up doing uh we went to
1: mike Romans. and brooks and we oh, played dungeons D. and dragons how was it it was good i guess like yeah yeah, it's it's very interesting playing Dungeons and Dragons with people who have played lots of it and then people who haven't. Yeah, there's a very different dynamic there. Yeah. Come on.
3: Save the liturgy, save the world.
1: Yeah. You want to talk about that? I do. So if you haven't picked this up, this is just a us hanging around right now. We're currently at Matt's Casa. Yeah. This is this is a fresh experience. It's been almost 20 episodes since we've been here.
2: Yes. Well, we we thought it was too echoey, so hopefully it's not too bad.
1: <laughs> but we only had one one microphone yeah, that time, that's true. so we've 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 gotten better. Yeah, so we're we're just hanging out for this podcast and wanted to bring everybody in to our little hangout session. So I uh, I hope you're enjoying this so
3: far. Hey, um, if this was a hangout session, I wouldn't have let the Lord laughing go. So, if you want to get back to that, then, like, I still don't think you laugh, but anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, dude, you know what, though? I. Why
1: do you not want him to laugh? <laughs> oh. It's. Well, Aaron
2: sees his own zany humor and he's like, this can't be in the second person of the Trinity. Correct. No.
3: I think what what it boils down to is like what you take laughter for and what you've put behind it. So I think a lot of it's, it's an emotional thing. So a lot of like what you, how you view laughter is going to be emotional. So I don't like connecting my laughter. I don't like connecting my sinfulness to our Lord. That's probably what it is. But, mm-hmm. but you're, so you're saying all laughter is sinful. No, no, no. But what I'm saying, how, is, how do you differentiate it? Well, and actually, St. Thomas, we did look yeah. at St. Thomas How for How do this. you differentiate it? That's the question, right? Like, it, it, it is a scary thing to do. But we, yeah, sorry, we looked at St. Thomas.
2: No, he's, he says there's there can be sin in excess mirth, but there can also be sin in too little. He, he says it's more likely in excess mirth. More likely in mirth. But it also exists in too little. Yeah. Or yeah. can exist.
1: There can be an attachment to sorrow that can prevent mirth. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> That is very true. All these things are true. We're back. <laughs>
3: All right. All right. Save the literature, save the world. <laughs> save the literature, save
1: the world. So, yeah. So, I don't, I know Matt's heard this turn of phrase before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it was popular, popularized by um, Father John Zulstorf, hashtag Father Z.
2: Or Father Z for translation for yeah. <laughs> British listeners. Father yeah. Hunwick, if,
1: if he's listening. Uh, um, so, yeah like do you how would you how would you sum it up save the liturgy save the world? I have to sum it up I don't know like I don't know like for me, the idea that yeah. fathers father Z really pushed was that in order to really restore culture and restore mm. order in the church, order in family life order and all of that the first place to start is the liturgy.
3: Um, And it says here in the show notes, you used to be a big proponent of this. Yeah.
1: I used to be a huge proponent of this and to a degree I still am. Um, But a few years ago I uh, sat down with a pastoral minister within this diocese uh, and she and I like butted heads over this for a good two hours, just hanging out and, you know, on her side, I could understand what she was saying. I mean, her, her idea and her, her frame of mind was that we need to, um, encourage people to become intentional disciples. I mean, that's the, that's the, <laughs> the, the that? buzzword right <laughs> <I can't stand laughs> now. Wait, wait, okay.
3: Save the liturgy, save the world. That's just make a better liturgy. And then all our cultural problems will be solved from well, that. Does restore,
1: that be- restore the Latin mass in parishes, basically,
2: is what okay. I think. It
3: certainly wouldn't happen right away, no. but
2: lex orandi, lex credendi. The law of prayer is the law of belief, and how you pray actually matters. Yeah. So, if you're just – is it truly Catholic prayer? Because if it's not Catholic prayer, you're not going to end up with a Catholic culture around it. Is it a truly – is it the fullest manifestation of Catholic liturgy? If it's not – I mean, the Latin Mass is what built Western civilization. I, yeah and and it's not just the liturgy it's everything that goes around goes along with it right. so the entire liturgical cycle the calendar orienting your lives around like the church cycle instead of the Monday to Friday business week and the wall street you know stock cycles it it wouldn't happen overnight but i believe it but it yeah. would have to be a full restoration of everything that came along with
1: that liturgy yeah. as well yeah so so yeah so I was having that conversation with um, with my friend uh, who's a pastoral minister and you know it, so her her idea was the fact that you can't really um, it wouldn't take unless people actually believed and really were serious about it and to be honest with you like I I also had another conversation a couple weeks ago with a guy. And he said to me something that I hadn't really thought about. He said, "Would you just, if you were in charge of things and you had, you know, supreme power, would you essentially Thanos snap? If do you know what that is, the Thanos snap?
2: He's some sort of villain."
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, from do you know what the Thanos snap
3: is? No, but I. I it's do you know so who th- Thanos it's is? Self-explanatory. It's self-explanatory. Th-
1: isn't that Greek for death? Might be, yeah, or something. But yeah, no, Thanos was from, uh, the Avengers, right? And he snapped and, and like a half of the population turned to dust. Um, spoiler alert. So the, he said, would you essentially Thanos snap the current state of the church away? Like, would you Thanos snap the Novus Ordo away and just essentially rip it away from the people? Um, and restore the Latin mass. And it was just like that. And, and I was like, I initially was like, yeah, I would consider doing that. And he said, so you would do what they did to the Latin masses at Vatican II. You would just essentially rip away a liturgy that they knew all about and replace it with a liturgy that was completely foreign. And, and I was like, I realized at that point that I was like, well, no, like, I mean, it would require, it would require steps and a lot of catechesis and all of that to restore it. And yeah, I don't know. Like it kind of caused a lot of self-reflection for me to be like, yeah, like I wouldn't just snap it back because I'd be afraid that, Again, you would lose souls, just like we've already lost. We lost so many souls over the the errors of Vatican II. I don't know. Like I, I feel like you you need a holistic kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
2: No. Well, like, what would it look like if you actually did? If you did what they they did in the '60s and just kind of, I know there was a a little period of transition, but yeah, not, not the, much, the church maybe. would be decimated, and I, like I'm not even saying that necessarily is a bad thing. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, you'd have all of these people who just weren't interested yeah. in this instant switch to vertical worship into a liturgy that they didn't understand, so they'd probably leave and it would be a super gradual rebuilding process and I'm yeah. not even sure that's what God wills well, yeah, you know yeah we we see what he allowed to happen, and we have to trust that it was for the There's, greater good well well, it will be in the end, right how yeah. it's restored, I don't know it would take yeah. a lot it would take changing of hearts,
1: yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. I don't know. Like it caused me to be like, you know, I, I don't know, like I find myself thinking kind of at both. And like, I wouldn't appreciate the Latin mass as much as I do and love it as much as I do. If I didn't have that real active prayer life that informs and helps me to appreciate what's going on at the latin mass like when i'm reading you know through the missile and i'm seeing all these actions lining up with you know with these beautiful you know beautiful histories of things that we've done for centuries i'm like like it's just it just makes me fall in love with god more Mm -hmm. you know but if i didn't love god already and i was just looking at that and like like I don't know how I would how I would uh, take it, but that is the ultimate.
2: <clears throat> I would say end goal is a full restoration of the Latin Mass and a complete Absolutely. suppression of the Novus Ordo. Yeah, I mean
3: that's yeah how that happens. I don't know. Philip Campbell does a lot of posts on this. Just saying, and he notes Philip
1: Campbell. Campbell. Um, Why
3: do we keep saying his full name? I don't know. It's fine. I don't <laughs> think he cares. Um, RCI candidates, like people who have nothing to do with Catholicism, generally take the Latin Mass well, and it's only old Catholics who don't take it well. Yeah, boomers. Boomers. and Susan, yeah.
2: Susan from the Parish Council. Susan from the Parish Council. And we've had a few of those at the Latin Mass as we've chanted. It's always been a an older lady, probably in her 70s, who after we've chanted a Mass, I'll go downstairs and I'll hear a voice off in the background saying, I am so glad they changed the liturgy at Vatican II. I, I, you know, it's completely alien mindset to me. But anyway, go on.
3: I just, anyway, just going back to the beginning, your original argument two years ago, the thing about Save the Liturgy, Save the World is we already had it and it didn't save the world because it was taken away, right? So I understand her point where like you yeah. need intentional disciples, i.e. people who pray basically mm. is what that means.
1: Yeah, like I was thinking about it too, like, I mean, in the culture of, you know, the earliest early 20th century, right? You've got things happening like divorce becoming legalized and, and no fault divorce coming about. You've got things like the introduction of the pill and everything that followed in the wake of that. And all of this happened while there was still a Latin mass in the world. The problem in my opinion was that the faithful didn't, even understand anymore what was happening 100%. Like I would say, like, there, of course, would have been, you know, the select few. But I mean, we had talked before about low mass culture, mm-hmm. how that was so popular and, and so common. The lay faithful would not have really understood 100%. Maybe, I don't know. You know, I wasn't there, but had we had, we'll use that phrase, intentional disciples going to mass, building families, living in the secular world, had we had all of that would things like divorce and remarriage, the pill, all of these things, abortion, all of these things come into effect, who knows well, if they were – they're they're all scourges. Right. I think they're punishments
2: that were allowed to happen because people were abandoning the faith. Right. Who- and this does not just start in the 60s. No. No. Hundreds of years before that.
1: Yeah. But who, but who was the Pope that said, you know, all, essentially all bad things in the world have come about because of lukewarm Catholics? I can't remember. There was a Pope that said it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I see that to be the case. And I, so, I mean, save the liturgy, save the world. Yes, absolutely. But at the same time, like save the laity, right? Save, be able to, help the laity become saints sanctify the laity which comes top down though usually right so
2: yeah we also have to save the clergy first yeah and true it's it's a big process which yeah. is why i don't know that's that's why i really like you know father ripperger talks about how this is modernism the synthesis of all heresies and it's going to take our lady the destroyer of all heresies to set it right yeah. And God
1: may be allowing this to rear its head just so she can crush it, right? So, so yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, for me, I was just thinking of the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm a few years in now to being, you know, a Latin mass going Catholic. And it has impacted my spiritual life. It has transformed those things in my life in a big way. But at the same time, I've done a lot of retrospect and I was like, could I, be doing more. Should we as people be doing more? Absolutely. In our community that we are right now, no one knows we're there in that town. Really, generally, no yeah. one knows because of the fact that I think in a way, there's a bushel bl- basket over the, the light of what's happening there. And not to say that there's not individuals or whatever that are not doing charitable work, but I mean, even even our parishes are not really shining as bright as they should, you know, even with the Latin Mass.
2: It's hard though, right? Because the churches used to be the main dispensers of charity too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would be the ones running the soup kitchens, running the hospitals, the schools. So, all that's been taken over by government agencies.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And not saying we can't do it. I mean, they're having a community lunch. Oh, they had one yesterday, actually, at the a community outreach lunch at our parish. Um, and, you know... Maybe we'll, we'll have some fireworks at our St. John the Baptist
1: barbecue on the front lawn. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I just think that we need to be able to be more effective in the world. and Is that... Yeah. I what's, just... Like, what's, I, yeah.
3: what's driving this? I'm, I'm, not, and, you haven't I mean, gotten it, would, it out yet. Like, just Latin masters aren't...
1: Like, I just... I feel that Latin mass goers need to be more intentional disciples, and intentional disciples need to be more Latin mass goers. I guess that's kind of the... I, I kind of look at it as a a both and you can't necessarily save the liturgy without, again, like you were saying, save the clergy, save the yeah, you know, and expect a actual restoration hmm. to occur. Yeah. I mean, we see parishes where priests go in and try to do the Latin mass and it just doesn't take, it doesn't take, they, the people don't respond. Why is that? It's because they, they don't have the capacity at this point to appreciate it. They haven't Mm -hmm. been catechized. They haven't received that formation to be able to be like, to be able to recognize the beauty of, of what's happening on that altar to understand the rich history and the theology behind the Eucharist and stuff. So I don't know. I I don't know. It's just some, I, I open it to our listeners too. Like, do you agree with save the liturgy, save the world?
3: Let us know. Like I, I I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about it anymore. A lot of saints, when they come into dioceses that are in disorder, that's the first thing they say is clergy. To what Matt said, they go, they go reform the clergy, and then their priests, usually in the butler's eyes, as saints, they go change the manners of the people. Mm. So to me, it's it's a clergy first yeah. thing. Unfortunately, like now, there's everyone can be as personal ho- personally holy as they want, and they should be, but. If you want to do anything like large, yeah, it's clergy and it's a saint and yeah. it's usually a priest saint.
2: Yeah, can you? If, if there was a whole army of Father rippickers out there,
3: I mean, I don't think
2: people could help but be better catechized and eventually be led in the right direction.
0: Yeah.
1: Or one de sale. Are you going to be the next to sale, hmm. de Saint Thomas? Um, I'm. I'm going to be Saint Chris, Saint, saint Thomas, Saint Chris or Saint Thomas. Sweet man. Yeah, because I don't need to be. St. Francis de sales. We already got one.
3: Yeah, it's <laughs> amazing. So, what? Like, what's there? There's something there. Fishing it out. Like, like with say the Lurgy, say the <clears world? throat> yeah. Like you just seem like I I don't know. I don't like, like, I'm, like I'm 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 like, I'm just I'm just you're simply like a, sh- I'm just a crossword crossroad.
1: I'm just yeah, not not a crossroad per se, per se. I know, you know, but I I I just like there's a na- natural tendency I think for us as humans to always want to find the magic answer and look for the silver Mm. bullet. And I'm like, is there one? I don't know. I don't know. Because like, again, we had the Latin mass. We screwed it up, you know? Yeah.
2: But they weren't living it out properly either. Right. Like if every parish was St. Joseph oratory doing processions and days of catechism and whole days of prayer and reconciliation, like, I think that would have a huge impact on, like, imagine if every parish that studded our city was like that. I think they're kind of beacons for everyone around them, but it's not just, it's not just switching back to the Latin Mass. You have to go with everything else that surrounded it, too. What about fasting? Catholics were supposed to fast all of Lent. Yeah. It calls down tons. Of, and it says right in Saint Ben, or Pope Benedict XIV, like it calls down graces for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. We're not doing that anymore. No. Nope. Contemplative orders, yeah, yeah. There are there, there, there are there are literally thousands and thousands of monasteries and abbeys that are gone. Fatherhood, yeah, yeah. It's not just, I, and I think all of that is is kind of implied by save the liturgy, but it means like maybe, so much more maybe, than just maybe. I, don't I know. would hope so because all that grew out of Christendom. That's truly Christian culture,
3: but we are, you, are you just. So save the liturgy, save the world. You used to think it was so simple, and you're kind of standing before like the world of sin, and you're like, "Whoa!" Like a yeah, Latin mass I, isn't gonna gonna help this. Is so that-
1: so I was a I was a freshie to the Latin mass, and I went into that conversation with that pastoral minister, and I was just hammering it, and I, you know, and she's like, "I don't think it's that simple," and yeah, after a few years of being in a Latin mass parish asking the practical question like how much has changed in me how much has changed in my family how much has changed in our you know culture of our parish and in the lives of the people that surround this parish
3: Mike Eh, I don't know like it, it's hard to I my mom noticed a change in me after I started going to the Latin mass yeah so. but, but you know what won't help. did you stop
1: laughing is that what
3: yeah I stopped Um, I stopped um, falling into the vice of levity. (laughs) (laughs) Sure there, pal. No, you know what won't
2: help? Keeping it as it is right now, though. Yeah. Like, with the last Novus Ordo, I went to. Homily starts. It's our Lord saying what God has joined together, let no man separate. And the homily starts. Yeah, this is a tough gospel. We need to find a way to balance the truth in Christ's words with concrete pastoral realities. That is not going to help. No. you know, And you know, that's coming from the top down right now yeah, too. Yeah. That, and so we can't leave things the way they are either and expect them to change. No.
3: I'm I think. Ex- expect to improve, sorry. I think the trad trap is to try to change things with anger. Whereas any saint, yeah. like these bishops would, would go in with love. Like they correct people because they love them. And that's. Yeah. That's the difference, right? Like that's something I've never been able to do, like to just look at someone and be like, you know, love God and love them and like not lord the Latin mass over them. That's Mm -hmm. I'm kind of still lording. So, yeah. Speaking of lording and talking about things suck. Do you want to talk about the APA? (laughs) Oh, yeah.
2: I don't even know where this came up. Chris was just asking me. All I know is um, I think it was somewhere on Twitter. And this relates to something we we talked about in the past, but the American Psychological Association, it was actually in August of last year, of 2018, that they released these guidelines, which are over there on the floor, (laughs) they're APA guidelines for psychological practice with boys and men. We'll cut that out. (laughs) No, it's great. Okay. Um, And what I got from this is that it kind of exact what we were just talking about. We're not speaking the same language as the world around us anymore. Because the APA, even in the beginning of this, they describe masculinity as a social construct and gender as non-binary, and I, I think the APA has a fundamental misunderstanding of what masculinity is and what how men relate to one another. We we've talked about this, like like men. I think it's well, It seems to be natural for men to regulate one another's behavior. But right at the beginning of this document, the APA laments that what they call is like feminine boys or those that are always crying or something. They might feel pressure from other boys around them to conform to what are seen as masculine norms. But some of the traits that are norms that they describe throughout this document, and they say they're they're either negative or you know particularly damaging, are things like emotional stability, self reliance building connections through physical activities, in particular sports. This is in quotes, good-natured ribbing or jokes with one another. These are damaging masculine traits, competitiveness, aggressiveness, seeing themselves as the providers for family. And that's a manifestation of egocentrism. And um, again, this is the American Psychological Association giving guidelines to all psychologists in America saying, this is how you should interact with people And this last one was kind of nice. Masculine traits in husbands cause depression in their wives.
3: Um, I wonder even where they get that. I
1: I noticed. I know know it does with my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Especially, Especially when I'm like, you know, like we were talking about that one in that one episode when I say. You're not leaving the house at 2 a.m. and walking down <laughs> the street because you yeah. might get ganked. Like. But they mean it causes <laughs>
2: clinical depression in their wives. Mm-hmm. I noticed most, the vast majority of their citations were from 2008 and later. So I mean, this is all relatively new research. But to talk about a big task. Like we're not, we're not speaking the same language as these people anymore. How do you fix that? I mean, bringing the Latin mass back is not going to fix the APA. But yeah. this is, you know, they actually. And they actually talk about religious people at one point, and they say how these new well, I think they're pseudosciences, but these new gender studies can help reduce transphobia for individuals with religious affiliation and conservative social and political views. So that's one of their main targets of, you know, psychology with boys and men. I, I just thought it was pretty abhorrent and pretty scary that this is not imposed, this is not um a standard of practice, but this is a guideline saying this is what you should be doing. This is not saying that you know they can't be psychologists can't be censured for not following this. But that's pretty scary from the main body governing all this. They do get it half right once, but they they actually decry hookup culture um, and promiscuity, but they actually blame that on traditional masculine norms as well. Oh, <laughs> somehow, Bl- somehow, ha- blame the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ev- everything wrong is. A- is because of men. The one thing I will say though, is they do have lots of good things to say about the positive aspects of fathers being present in their children's lives and the positive impact of fatherhood on men as well. You know, a sense of responsibility it kind of changes their outlook on life. They stop consuming drugs. They stop, you know, more risky behaviors when they become fathers. And then, you know, all the positive impacts we know about having dads around too. But that's that's only a pint of goodness in a
3: in a pool full of poison. Well, that's in a bit of a double thing too. To say like you need fathers, but it can't be fathers. It yeah. can't be men. That's scary. That's yeah. scary. Yeah. It's, so that's who's making all, policy all, in the States.
1: Yeah, it's almost like a Vatican press release. It's like talking on the side, both sides of their mouth there.
2: Yeah, it was a, It was shocking to read. It was I don't know. It's like twenty two pages or something. It's available on the internet, but yeah, that's <laughs> who wrote it. So, it's written by a, a body of people at the American Psychological Association. Like, what man would sign their name to this? To this,
1: Not a real one. Well, I,
2: yeah. and then they would say- I think say, it's just that simple. Well, so, that's a thing. They don't talk about masculinity. They talk about the different masculinities and oh. that our concept of masculinity is just one concept and it's wrong. Oh. <laughs> that theirs is the right one. Okay. Uh, so, interesting though they talk about having classes or, or actually fostering- I don't know, Aaron, if this is something you want to talk about, like cross gender friendships as well to foster like gender empathy and, you know, more understanding
3: between men and women. But they also want they want men to become much more like women was the I've always been a big fan of men and women shouldn't be friends, like generally speaking. And I know we could try to troll Chris and get him to put his <laughs> two cents on this. But that's just my experience. It's been way too complicated. You think
1: says the guy who comes to my house and starts like playing like
3: yeah hitting on your wife yeah like, no, that's because yeah. she's married well that's because she's married it's different oh, right? yeah. Like, yeah, yeah but yeah. I, it's totally different. I, yeah no there is even concern there actually I, there's a great saint francis de sale uh, chapter on men who act like me towards other people's wives but um <laughs> it was good I'll, I'll link it somewhere um i don't empathy with women. like i don't the less i know the better has been my like <laughs> the, like for the last two years that's kind of been like
1: and that is why you're single. Do
3: you think so? I think the less think you know, so. then you can actually hang out with them. Anyway, you're married one. That's just the sad state of psychology
2: in the United States, at least. And and the APA is a very influential body all around yeah, the world. I, but they, you know, the document, it actually focused more on, well, it I can't even count the number of times I said the word patriarchy and how white <laughs> male privilege is kind of the source of all societal evils nowadays. Mm. And they really focused on trans men, which I, I think means women who think they're men. And then, you know, the alphabet soup, LGBT go on culture. But how different is that from, well, we talked about it a while ago, how to raise a man. Yeah.
1: Like not even, again, yeah. we're on different planets. Yeah. it It actually is quite scary as a married person looking at the trajectory of where things are going and you're like, Raising a kid in this is scary. Yeah. Like, how do you, I mean.
2: Man, they actually talk about um, developing educational programs, getting them into yeah. the schools to
1: implement this too. Yep, yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. Like this whole kind of culture, things like Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood, that's their whole game plan too, is they want to be yeah. in, every, in every private and public school, teaching the children from kindergarten about quote-unquote sex ed. I mean, it's, and all it is, is grooming them for getting them to have abortions in the end. Yeah. Anyway. So it's pretty disturbing. Yeah. It's insanity. It's just the breakdown of the culture. Yeah. It's in full bloom. Like, like, I mean, besides an intervention by our lady, like you were saying, how,
3: how do we fix it? It's on
1: every front. Yeah.
3: You know? uh, Yeah. Yeah. Father Ripperger blames in I can't remember what talk but he blames the breakdown of the culture on men and their lack of prayer their are la- like and uh, this is just a perfect example this report like what guy would would write this and let this go like who's like just imagine yourself like that's disturbing I've actually this is just this is just sad so just it what?
1: it it literally depressed me I'm literally distressed after hearing all of that it's not that it's something I didn't know was there, like I obviously assumed, but having you formally kind of say, this is it.
2: like I went through it all with... I like the first, the very first line in the introduction saying that boys and men are diverse with respect to gender. (laughs) Anyway, that's... that's They actually... Well, you know, they're talking about gender identity, but they... You know, boys and men
3: can be girls too. (laughs) Anyway. Do you want to transition into... This is a good segue, but frankly... This podcast is dragging me down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a second and talk about the ring for a sec. Okay. Pope
3: Francis Uh, pulling back his ring when people tried to kiss it. That
1: one? Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, it's very interesting watching the conversation happening on Facebook right now between the different factions. Um, I I think it would be kind of an interesting thing to shout out our listeners or slash engagers – Keep Wait. them engagements coming.
3: We need those views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we need yeah, to buy yeah. the big screen.
1: Let, <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, you need to
2: encourage people to go back and listen to How to Raise a Man. I still think that was one of the best ones, or at least that talk. Just, they need to listen to just Father listen Ripperger. to
3: Father Ripperger's talk How to Raise a Man. Our talk isn't very good. We should probably just go through it again and just pick out the good and, and add to it. Frankly, right now, no, just oh. on a on a future yeah. podcast. Okay, but yeah.
1: So yeah, yeah coming back to the. Uh, The kiss, the ringy, ringy, kissy, kissy. Yeah, I don't know. Are we? We are low budget. Yeah, this is this is happening. This is this is filler podcast. This is yeah.
3: You just put put a warning in the pre roll, just like warning, warning, (laughs) (laughs) dudes,
1: hanging out. (laughs)
3: Yeah, yeah. Whoa, wait, once Uh, again. If we're hanging out, our Lord didn't laugh. Like it's very plausible that he didn't go. Should we stop laughing?
1: So. Speaking about not laughing, you're not laughing about this hand pulling pontiff. Mm-hmm. No, me either.
3: No, it's a, it it gave me the creeps actually when I, I first saw it. It gave me the creeps. But read read some of the comments. Yeah. Know.
1: So so if anybody hasn't not seen it, it's on our uh, on our theology of the buddy Facebook page. Um, where after Mass uh, at the sanctuary of the Holy House of Loretto.
3: So that was that was the House of Our Lady, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, it at, flew to France. Can we talk about that too? Like the Holy House of Loretto, for people who don't know, it <laughs> flew to France miraculously in the 800s, 1200s? I don't know when. Sometime. But yeah. Yeah, pretty sweet. Yeah, it is pretty sweet. Who knew?
1: Yeah, and then Pope Francis started pulling his hand away from people trying to kiss the fisherman's ring. And it's really awkward to watch. Now, um, one of our – actually, Billy uh, Billy G. from OK Catholics, he shared an article from the BBC essentially saying, like, prior to this video being taken – so it is somewhat out of context uh, – there was a number of people who were able to venerate the ring – But it was at one point where he just stopped allowing people to do it. So, and he actually had allowed people to receive a blessing and there was like almost a weird kind of favoritism. Not sure why no announcements were made. It was just kind of weird. But yeah, like our, our listener, Jess, who was on our podcast, uh, said, what is going on? He's practically pushing people up and away, awkward and super inappropriate. I agree with that. Yep. But then Luke says, it's time to look into it before we make judgments. Anyone have the full story? And Luke essentially said, <laughs> "I'm basically, he's just tired of how quickly people assume slash conclude the worst. Would you say that it was a conclusion of the worst?
3: So, no, I thought about you, this a you lot. Could
2: watch him pulling <laughs> his hand away.
3: Yeah. Luke's comment kind of irritated the crap out of me. And this is the whole problem that I think is fixable with men. I'm so tired of men just being like, ho, ha, hum, let's explain this away. So I don't have to do anything or change what I think about this. Like to me, this is the whole crux. Like, it's like, no, Luke, you need to come to terms with the fact that there's no, there's no benefit of the doubt anymore for Pope Francis. He's a bit of a scoundrel. He's a scoundrel. He's done some really shady stuff. His humility is so clearly false that everyone should be able to see through this. And, and like, we shouldn't, we just shouldn't be looking at this stuff, first of all. But if you are, like, why, why this lying? Like, this is, to me, this is the problem. Like, if you're a father and the house is burning down, I'm so tired of all our fathers just being like, wow, we need to just make sure that the house is burning down before we do anything. You know, it's just like everywhere you look, that seems to be every man's first instinct to just like be lazy. I, that's, that, that's actually our, one of our, Eh, original sin that's what it did to us but it's just like no it's time to take the step at least you know what there's probably nothing we can do about this but it's time to take the step as men to start praying more luke like start praying more yes pope francis he's the worst pope in a long time like there's no like i don't think there's there's no benefit of the doubt anymore like mm-hmm. we've we've given it up right like how many like i don't know how long has this pontificate been going on for like mm-hmm too long okay. it's it's
2: 1482 wasn't it <laughs> feels like
3: it. <laughs> yeah so i don't know that's yeah. that's the whole thing that's that's my yeah, idea.
1: yeah. it's interesting do you see the comment from chad chad said maybe somebody someone slobbered all over it and he didn't want other people to get germs let's be honest flu season hold on though <laughs> hold on if that were the case why is communion from the cup being allowed yeah yeah or even communion in the hand by multiple eucharistic ministers like
2: yeah.
3: No, it's all just lies.
2: I mean, I saw the exact opposite when I was in Guccigliano, Italy uh, with Cardinal Burke there. You know, there were quite a few people that every time he passed by any of them, somebody wanted to kiss his ring. I kissed his ring. Yep. He, I was, he wasn't Cardinal snapping Bush. his hand back.
1: So. No. no, he, get, um, he gets um, his hand right out there. Like, I, I went to see him a couple of years ago in, in Wisconsin. He was ready for it. Like, he was just waiting. And that's the thing. Like, Hopefully, those
2: people weren't lining up to kiss Pope Francis's ring. They're there to venerate the, the symbol of the office of the papacy. Right. Hey. I mean, it's funny, though. That BBC article, I think that was syndicated. I mean, it's probably an Associated Press article, and that appeared in all the favorable networks. Mm. CTV posted it. I think the CBC article was the exact same. So Wow. that's Well, that's a problem with the news in general. It's all one opinion disseminated out
1: through a bunch of different networks. But yeah. So, also, Father Steve Marsh, uh, shout out to Theology of the Belly. Oh, yeah? Go on. We, we always have to give him a shout out. He says, yeah, apparently some of his aides said that sometimes he refuses, sometimes he lets them kiss it, and it's almost whatever mood he's in. So, who knows? could also be that he announced ahead of time, no kissing the ring today, and people reflexively went in for it anyway.
2: If they kissed his ring before in the part that wasn't aired, then yeah. those people probably pissed him off even more yeah and that's why he was so pissed off i see (laughs) but (laughs) no i don't i I don't buy that
3: but it's just back to fathers though like pope francis is the supreme father he has to always be ready to give his fatherly like when when you go hug your dad you're not doing like it's it's not showing him respect he's giving you something like his authority covers you it's something that we all need we crave i don't i don't know what like Yep.
1: yep. No, I, I'm in agreement. I think it was just a shady move. And, yeah. you know, it, was it you guys I was talking to about it I, or was it a talk I was listening to? might've been a talk. It might've actually been Taylor Marshall who, yeah, watched uh, who, that. who said that like in the military, right? You salute the office, not the man and kiss, kissing the fisherman's ring is a gesture of that. You know, we could care less essentially, who's sitting on the the throne of St Peter right now we honor the office because he is a direct successor of Peter yeah yeah
3: um well speaking of fatherhood anyway and and like authority i've been thinking about my dad a lot and just <laughs> a lot of i've been thinking about my dad and a lot of the things some you know you get your daddy wound i got my daddy wound i got my wounds but I've been reading St. Francis de Sales, and I and just his gentleness is quite edifying. And I've just been thinking, you know, a lot of these men probably just don't know they they stuff like this APA stuff, right? Like they've just been told their whole life, like, we don't want your authority and we don't need it. It's bad for us. And um I don't it's been beat out of people since well, feminism, basically. And I don't think people Fathers, I don't think men know what, what they need and what their obligations are clearly in when, when they get married. I've just, I've just noticed that. And I, at first I got mad, but then I'm like, well, they probably just don't know. So I, um, I did. I I love the Catechism of the Council of Trent. It's, it's talk on marriage. Uh, it's quite succinct. It's beautiful. And then if you want to supplement that, uh, St. Francis de Sales to sale introduction to the devout life uh his his little like two page letter on marriage it was the most beautiful thing i had read on marriage it made me want to go out and get married right away but
1: um com. thank you my in, sponsor th-
3: thank you in <laughs> in the not really in the catechism or yeah catechism in the council of trent it uh it goes through don't i don't want to hear like all the hate like oh, obedience and submission whatever it it goes through a lot of beautiful things Um, the one for me is the husband should be also constantly occupied in some honest pursuit. I'm like, Oh, work on that. But what I did want to talk about is, um, he is also to keep all his family in order to correct their morals and see that they faithfully discharge their duties. Men, I think are the only ones who can do it. When, when women try to correct people, they get labeled a bitch. Usually, right? Like it's women, like, especially my mom, my mom never said anything bad about my dad. Or so I want to go to the category against the council trend for wives. But my mom never said anything bad about my dad, even though my dad, like, after Pat Shepard, and then me, my dad's like the worst person in the world. He's the biggest jerk. And he admits it himself. So don't worry, this can be on the podcast. Like, we all we all have this in the family, we know like where we are, but. He like men, for some reason, they can still be jerks and you can still respect them. You might not like them as much, but there's that respect. So just every man like the How to Raise a Man podcast, like uh, you don't need to listen to that. The Father Ripperger, How to Raise a Man. That's a really good talk. I think almost more for women. But men should just know that everything that's wrong in their family is their job. And like it's their job to correct. Like when your kids are misbehaving, it's your job. When, you know, you got some annoying dinner thing. That's your job like I, I, I'm so sick of of women just catching up for men everywhere and it just throws the whole family like in kind of in disarray because men are just lazy and they want to watch TV all the time. I'm just getting sick of it. So men every everything is your responsibility. I'm I'm sorry you didn't know this maybe when you got married, but now you know like everything and in prayer you're supposed to be the most holy person in your family so in terms of defects you're you're the biggest defect in your family you need to start correcting yourself Lent, Lent is an amazing time for that i think we should be before the end of Lent in this podcast and you know we're the three of us i don't want to lose our merit but like we're going to do holy week together and we're going to fast a little bit for the triduum and we're going to we're going to actually fast like men do like the church has done for a long time and it's, it's just the way it is. We're, we're not going to eat at all on Friday. And you know, and it's just like, Oh, that's hard. It's just like, shut up, shut up. I'm so tired of this. It's just like, no, this is what the church does. There's the rule. Do it. Like, you know, just leaving everything for your wife to do in terms of holiness is like, it's getting no one nowhere. I know. I don't think save the liturgy, save the world. I don't think actually we as people can really do anything for, our diocese or the church in general, I think it's pretty much doomed. I think the Muslim hordes are actually going to take care of most of that. But in terms of your personal relationships and your family and your own holiness, that that's on you and everyone needs to know that. So, and then actually my favorite, the duties of a wife wrap up paragraph in the catechism of the council of Trent. It's actually quite beautiful. Uh, Again, in this union chiefly consists let wives never forget that next to God, they are to love their husbands, to esteem them above all others. I, there was a blog. I was reading one. Some girl, her mother always talked, to, said their father was like the best man in the world. And I remember she just spoke of that so fondly. I could actually like feel the emotion and like the, the love coming even through a blog. And when a wife, how a wife loves, her husband is is represented in how – it should represent how the church loves God. It's a, it's a really important thing for your children to see. And that's the most beautiful thing a woman can do in the house. I know my mom does that. Like once again, she puts up with my dad. That takes a lot of love. So it's really cool. A good example of that is
2: Blessed Anna Maria Taigi, though. We've talked about her a couple times. But she was – the miracles associated this, with this woman are astounding. She was like a prophet in her times, a prophetess. And she had cardinals coming to visit her, and like, high-ranking people throughout the church. But the minute her husband got home, she would excuse herself from the, an audience with cardinals and say, "I need to go resume my duties as wife now. My husband's home." Because that's she, her office. That that was, She's and her that's wife. her way to get to heaven. Yeah, <laughs> she saw. Yeah, she saw the importance of that.
3: And actually. Yeah. Saint Rita. If you've married a bad man, if you can read about Saint Rita. She she was quite heroic in what she did, and she converted her husband on his deathbed. So,
1: yeah. can yeah, I have a kind of an interesting story to add to this. So, this past week, I've been in conversations with a fella who will, will probably never listen to this podcast, and he was sharing with me that he's currently dating a girl um, who is a quote-unquote catholic but she is a fan of contraception and he was asking me essentially what do i do and i basically had to be like you know if she's gonna be using contraception like it's you're never gonna end up having a real catholic marriage like it's not gonna work but you, you know he was like oh but you know she's got good intentions and she's got this and she's got that and i was like I understand, you know, but, and it was actually like, I had to get up the courage to be like, you know, what's the right thing to do here. You know, like, you know, you know that your marriage is a vocation that requires specific things. You know, if your spouse that you're the person that you're, you know, discerning marriage with is not willing to f- fulfill the duties of that calling. I don't think she's the one man, like essentially, you know, like, but you know, you have to make that decision. But how can she be the one? Yeah,
3: yeah, the, the, the she's, she's probably not, she's yeah. not the one. We should do a dating podcast, Dating 101. So, that uh, can attest to this every time I meet a girl, I'll start dating like the week after. I I'm like I'm lying on Matt's couch. We're playing crib. I'm drinking, and I'm like Matt. I'm so stressed out. This girl's the one. Like I'm in love. Like happens no, all the time. Usually madly in love. Madly in love. That's the word I use. Yeah, you do. You do do that. Yeah, I get. I just very go over quickly. the top very quickly, and I've learned. Although I can't really get over that. Oddly enough, I've learned it, um, we need to reorder how we think about dating. It's it's a contract. Think of it more like a business agreement. Like you you read the Catechism of the Council of Trent. You're like, I can do this. And you decide to do this with someone you can do this with. Like this is, that's how people were looked down upon for, for picking partners, like out of like a mad love, like in medieval times. And nobles were. Well, it's the least trustworthy part.
2: Yep. I mean, you should be looking for virtue. Yep. You should not be looking for, oh, I get warm fuzzies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because virtue is the only thing that will last. I mean, hopefully, there there should be warm fuzzies there eventually.
1: Yeah, but. yeah. I mean, there has to be some natural attraction too, right? But I mean, yeah. I mean, we talked about this in at uh, what was it Steubenville? We talked about the Golden Triangle. You've heard of that? No. You know, like hot, hotness, holiness, and personality. Uh. You know, like. I mean, you get rid of one. Is this what
3: happens in Oh, it's, <laughs> yeah. like a, it's like a tripod. One leg falls and they yeah, all, the, the whole thing, thing falls. falls. Three-legged
1: stool. There you go. Yeah.
2: Uh, so.
3: Hotness made it in there? Hotness, uh, holiness, hot and personality. You, Thus, that's why I have married. Uh, Hotty, hot my hot hot Yeah, your and Julie's marriage is quite edifying, I find. I don't know, sometimes you guys work. Not sure how, but to is. be
1: honest with you, I don't know either. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it's very interesting all these years later. I'm like, you know, we're, this, even this past week, we had a bit of an issue and it was like, how did we even do this? Like, you know, and then you realize how much sacramental grace is being given, mm-hmm. you know, in those moments when you're just like, yeah, I can't stand you right now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. You just, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're living the sacramental life and, you know, you've received the sacrament of marriage itself, I mean, you, yeah, kind of like what we were talking about in the last podcast. Like, God gives you everything you need to be able to continue on in marriage. But, yeah, it's just, you know, obviously both parties have to cooperate with that. Anything else? Um, I think this has been a very interesting podcast, boys. It's
3: been very somber. What's happening here? We're not drinking. We're in Yo, Lent. And it's Lent. That must be in. Yep. Lent. We should just
2: create a new series, Theology of the Body Hangout. <laughs> Hangout number one. Yeah.
3: Lent. Lent style. Lent. <laughs> Lent. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, it is just Lent. Do you think the world's going to end soon? Tribulation? Uh,
2: I don't mm, know. Not the world ending, because okay. the
1: Jews haven't converted. Okay. No. Then the Jews won't convert
2: until
3: okay. the Catholic but Church it, converts. Okay. It certainly
1: seems like we're in
3: the Great Apostles. Okay.
1: Know? Oh, yeah, for sure.
3: Yeah, it does. It's fun... Fun fact, Matt Mm. taught me. I don't know if you... So, when uh, you light the altar candles, you start on the epistle side, closest to the tabernacle, representing the Jews, and then you switch over to the gospel side and center, representing the Gentiles, and then you snuff in the opposite, because Matt said, because the Gentiles will lose the faith, and then the Jews will have it last, but then no one will have it last, and then the world ends. Like, every time... Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Every time you light and extinguish the altar candles at Mass, it's like... A little life lesson. Yeah. Right the there. light
2: comes out from Christ, too, because the tabernacle is supposed to be in the middle of the high altar. Right,
3: right.
1: right.
2: Isn't that
3: cool? I don't know. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, don't you, I mean, even with the mo- the placement of the missile, right, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's given to the, <coughs> uh, wait, yeah, it's given to the Jews the and then Epistles given idea. to the Gentiles and then taken from the Gentiles and brought back to the Jews. And
2: actually, it's supposed to be preached, you know, it's taken off the altar and preached Liturgical North. Liturgical North, yeah. So I mean the North always represented these wild people, the Gentiles. Um so yeah, the the missile is literally being taken away from the Jews and they wouldn't listen, so the gospel is preached to the nations.
3: Yeah. And the missile, whenever it's closed The, like, the spine is opposite. So, like, the open side is towards the tabernacle always. Because our Lord is the only one who can open the book in Revelations. The Lamb or whoever who can open the book in Revelations. Oh, my gosh. Did you know that? Yeah, it's all there at the Mass. So, yeah, going back to Save the Liturgy, Save the World. Like, I guess if you want fun factoids, you can have the Latin Mass. If you want, like, decent crap music, whatever valid but not licit mass you can go to the Nova sort like i think i actually agree with the first girl though i think same with the liturgy like i think you need people first you need people to want the liturgy because people are attend the liturgy you need priests to want the liturgy yeah. i don't i think you're right if you just if you just like if everyone if, was if we, th- mass, if we
1: thanos snapped we the Nova Nova yeah. out of existence but,
2: but would imposing the liturgy on a bunch of unwilling participant priests That's not really saving the liturgy. Yeah. Right. So save the liturgy implies quite a bit with it. So Um, to me, save the liturgy should mean save the clergy. Yeah. Catechized the clergy. Well, I'm glad we've come full circle on this. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's
3: how we wrap up our podcast. Yeah. Why don't you guys take the the wrap up? Well, thank you for listening. We're uh, super glad you can join us. You can like us on Facebook. If you post mean comments, I will be sure to respond. I love it. I love criticism. Fraternal correction. That's actually was on the show notes. I didn't get to talk about it. But go ahead and fraternally correct me. I'm pretty sure you can find us on other places. I don't know. Just Chris said In- Instagram. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, and pop over review. And until then, see you guys later.
0: Well, what'd you think? We'd love to know your thoughts. Was there something that you learned from the podcast today? Or perhaps something that you are unsure about? Message us on Facebook or DM on Instagram at Theology of the Buddy or email us at theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. Also, if you subscribe to us on Facebook, we would love to have you join Chris and I for one of our lovely Facebook Lives. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. If you're feeling charitable this Lent, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Next week, the boys will be discussing the rich beauty of the traditional rites of Holy Week. Make sure you're subscribed so you'll know when it comes out. We'll save you a seat at the table. New episodes are released every Wednesday, so until then, stay tratty!